Amen. You may be seated this morning. Take your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 9. Kids City is dismissed at this time. If you have a child uh, in kindergarten through fifth grade, they can make their way to the church lobby. They have people that will direct them next door for their worship experience this morning. I know they're going to have a great time of worship. Mark, chapter 9, great crowd. I'm telling you, rain did not keep you home today. Thank you for showing up. You are going to get a huge blessing from the message and uh, the music this morning. Mark chapter 9, school has officially started for many people this week and over the last few weeks. And uh, I think this week our, most of our college students that haven't already begun uh, will start back. We are praying for you, we're rooting for you, we're cheering for you. Uh, my, our twins start back on Wednesday. I think the following Monday, everybody else that hasn't started will be in, in class. And uh, all of mom and dad say amen to that, all right? There's something about a routine. There's something about structure uh, back into our uh, family life schedule. Have you ever felt like a failure and you just wanted to quit? Maybe you felt like every single thing I've tried, I just fall flat on my face, whether it's whether it's school, some of you may feel like that in school. Maybe school is not your strongest uh, characteristic, things that you thrive in. And, and, you know, maybe you've taken the same class over and over and you wonder, like, am I ever going to pass this class? And, uh, you know, some, whatever it is, maybe it's a, a foreign language, maybe it's a, a science or a math, and you're like, if I could just finish this class. I mean, you know, some of us were like, I, I don't know that I'll ever use that those math uh, problems ever again for the rest of eternity, and all of us can say amen to that. But, uh, but you know, you sit there and you start thinking, like, am I ever going to get out of this season? We last Sunday we looked at the, the saw the disciples were discouraged, and uh, they were in a house. Jesus was was talking to them, teaching them, and he was showing them that they were powerless in the valleys because they were praying. They're prayerless. They weren't trusting God and. And spending time calling out to him for, for prayer. And, and Jesus huddles up with his disciples many times. And he's a teacher. He's teaching his students. In fact, oftentimes he would teach sitting down. And his audience would be kind of banked around him. And they were listening to him teach and impart truth and wisdom. And, but many times they were embarrassed because... You know, they were failing his class. Uh, the disciples were, he would talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection, and they were like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It doesn't make sense. I mean, none of this is registering. He would use parables, and even the disciples oftentimes would be like, do what? What, what did he just say? Uh, he's going to destroy the temple and, and, and raise it up in, in just three days. And the disciples had to repeat some of his classes. And, and, uh, and today in Mark chapter 9, we're going to review uh, he's really reviewing what he did in Mark chapter 8, and then he'll repeat it again in Mark chapter 10. And he bounces back and forth, but he's teaching them a powerful lesson to students who are totally bombing the class. So if, if you've ever failed a class, uh, you're in good company. The disciples were struggling. Every time Jesus would call them to prayer, they were falling asleep. So uh, sometimes when I see people sleeping in church on Sunday, I'm thinking, it's just, you know, they did it to Jesus. I mean, <laughs> the most exciting, dynamic, uh, powerful, gifted communicator uh, would lose his audience oftentimes. So I'm thankful you showed up. It is raining outside, and uh, but thank you for being here. If you're tuning in online, thank you for tuning in this morning, and hopefully we'll keep your attention. But 
Let's go back to Mark chapter 8 for just a couple of minutes, and, and we're going to bounce uh, to a couple different things before we dive into our text. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, what's the word there, church? Rise again. And he said this plainly. He says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You see the word teach. He's using, he's clearly teaching them. He says, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. But ultimately, I'm going to rise again. And one of his students uh, doesn't care for this lesson. And, and Peter uh, begins to rebuke him. And things don't go so well. <laughs> you know, whenever we try, you ever, your kids ever try to like, they, they, they talk back to you? It usually is not a good experience. In my house, I mean, if I talked back to my dad once, uh, it was one and done. I mean, you know, uh, there was a, a way of getting my attention. And, uh, you know, there are lots of kids who've never been uh, disciplined ever. And it, it shows our, our culture today is a, a group of unruly people who someone, no one has ever told them no. And, and we sometimes, Jesus is having to put them in their place and allow them to understand he is there for a purpose to teach them. And they're there to learn and to grow. One of his students doesn't care. And so Peter is, is being, he's ultimately getting schooled on what, what's, what's going to happen. And then if you skip over to Mark chapter 10, Jesus is teaching the same content. But he gives more detail. Look at verse, chapter 10, verse 33. He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Verse 34 says they'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he'll do what, church? He'll rise. So he's outlining what's going to take place. And the students flag his class. And according to the very next verse, in verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and asked him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Their response is so unbelievable because here is someone who is literally talking about laying down his life on the cross and ultimately rising again from the grave. And, and their response, they said, in the face of all of his sacrifice and his servanthood, these two brothers demand that Jesus cater to their needs. Does this not describe the world in which we are living today? We're like, hey, I want my cake and eat it too. I want the pastor to preach only on these certain. I literally had someone one day said, I think you should only preach from Paul's books. I think you should only preach from the New Testament. I think you should all do what? It's there for our learning, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect furnished for all of God's. He's called us to read and teach the whole counsel of God. And I wouldn't want to belong to a church that only taught certain verses or certain passages of the scripture. But they're like, Lord, if you could just do this, if you could just stay in your lane, so to speak, everything will be great and dandy. And I wonder how many teachers do we have this morning? How many teachers in the building? Raise your hands. My sister's a teacher. We have some incredible. Last Sunday we prayed over our teachers. We honored our teachers. And thank you for your service. 
Uh, I'm praying for you, uh, especially those that have my children. I'm, I'm, pray- I'm, I'm totally playing, but I'm not really, but I'm, we're, we're, we're praying. We're not playing. We're, we're praying. And, uh, you know, but they can tell when, when students are learning. They can tell when people are tracking with them. They can tell when they're goofing off. They can tell when they've not done their homework. I mean, I've told this story on myself before. I mean, when I go to the dentist, you know, twice a year for the annual, you know, or twice annual uh, cleanings, I'm in there the night before flossing. I know this is probably too, too much information for you, but my wife is like, you're not fooling anyone. <laughs> She's like, you have not done that for the last five and a half months, but now you're choosing to floss your teeth. You know, I'm like, well... I just don't want chunks of food to hit them in the mask, you know. So I mean, I'm just trying to be, you know, kind and, and all that. But she's like, they know you're not flossing every day. They, they can tell. And teachers can tell when a student has learned, when they've studied, when they've applied themselves. And you're not fooling them. I, I taught piano for many years. And I could tell when a student would come to thing. I was like, they haven't practiced not one single time. <laughs> I mean, we've digressed from last week's lesson. So obviously no time was invested. And this week, if you play sports, you can tell the student, the, 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 the teammates that are practicing on their own time and they're improving their craft and their skill. And so here the teachers can tell. Here the teacher calls up the disciples in verse 35 says, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, he says, What are you discussing? What are you talking about on the way? And, and he could say that Jesus is about to do some homeschooling here in this situation. Jesus is he knows what the disciples are thinking. Imagine, you know, every thought he knows. He knows. He knows what we're thinking at, at all times. And Jesus rebuked them, not in public, but in private. He said, what are you talking about? And that not only were the disciples afraid to ask questions, they didn't give the right answers, and, and they, were, they were struggling because they didn't want to get called out by name, so to speak. In verse 34, it says, they kept silent, for on the way as they were walking... They had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Doesn't they sound like middle school boys? <laughs> I've got the biggest muscles. I mean, my daddy can beat up your daddy. I mean, this is like, that's, that, it's comparison. Constant comparison to one another. Two attitudes that were keeping these disciples from understanding the bigger picture of what God was getting ready to do in their midst. There's no place for personal status in ministry. There's no place for, for making a name for yourself. And the second half of, of verse 34 says, he tells them, he says, why didn't you respond? It says, on the way, they were arguing with one another about who was the greatest. I'm his favorite. I'm, I'm the teacher's pet. I'm, I, he, he always looks to me for, for, for illustration. He Hey, that's because you're putting your foot in the mouth all the time. Hey, he's always looking at me and using me as an example. Well, sometimes that's not always the best thing. But all of the disciples were in a dispute over who amongst themselves was the greatest. And in their culture, rank, status, power were huge things. At meals and, and in dealings with one another, there was a constant question about who is first. Who is at the head of the table who would sit next to Jesus? If you have, uh, if you have uh, kids in your home, when they get to the age of being able to sit in the front seat, <laughs> you, know what I'm, you know where I'm going with this? They're fighting over who's going to be able to sit 
up next, you know, shotgun, you know, ride beside mom or dad, and, and you're driving, and, I, and I, was, I dreaded when they got to that age because it's a fight, and then when you add twins into the mix, and uh, there's two that are fighting, uh, and there's two more in the backseat that also want to sit up front, and, and there is a, it's racing to the car to see who can get into the, the, the passenger seat up front the first, and it, it's just a constant, the, the disciples were doing the same thing, and in the sense of who's the greatest Who's the most prevalent? It's the same problems today. Who is the most popular? Who has the best voice on the stage? Who can play the meanest guitar? Who can sing or teach or do? Jesus is saying there's no place for personal status. There's no place for all of these things. After seven Super Bowls, many people call Tom Brady the goat. Thinking he's the greatest of all. I'm not sure if it's going to pop up here on the screen, but uh, he's the, the greatest of, of all time. And after you know, after seven Super Bowls, I mean, there's probably a little question, but I think the question now is when is he actually going to retire? I mean, when is this going to be a fit? When is this going to really happen? And uh, if we all know that Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time basketball player. And uh, if you can't be from North Carolina and have a different opinion, I mean, I'm not saying if you moved here, I mean, you're not a, you're not a native. You didn't, weren't born here. But if you've been here your whole life, I mean, uh, he's the greatest of all time. I mean, it just can't be any other answer. And I, uh, earlier last year, my son was playing at Laney High School, and that's where Michael Jordan went to high school. He was, uh, he was wrestling there. And I walked in their gymnasium. I'm like, is this a college? I mean, it, the, the gymnasium is, is massive. Well, Michael Jordan built the gymnasium for the school. And there's an entire wall of Air Jordans that spans, I mean, probably 20 feet in this glass enclosed case. And I'm, I mean, I'm just sitting there going, wow. I mean, the greatest basketball player, uh, no. My, my youth pastor disagrees with me, but he's not a native. He didn't grow up here, so I'll excuse him. And, you know, when he gets to heaven, he'll figure it out. I mean, eventually he'll understand. But our culture is constantly, you know, weighing out who's the greatest. I mean, who, wh who's the greatest pastor who's built the biggest church? And, you know, who has the, the biggest name and, and lights? And you can look around and say, oh, well, Joel Osteen pastors Lakewood or, or the Stephen Furtick pastor. And you start going around and you're, you're coming preparing yourselves that folks if we're not careful we can fall into the trap of comparison and say well who's the who won teacher of the year who won the the banker of the, who won the real estate top awards who won this or that and you you could easily put yourself in a situation where you're comparing who is the greatest amongst us Jesus says there's no place for personal status the disciples as they're jockeying for positions I wonder if the following dialogue took place. Perhaps Peter would say, well, you know, I was the first to get saved. <laughs> I mean, you know, the first, uh, you can't get much better than that. And, and perhaps Andrew would have said, not so fast. I was the one who introduced you to Jesus. And, and then maybe Judas spoke up and said, hey... Uh, he trusts me with all the money. I mean, I take care of the money. So, I mean, obviously, uh, he trusts me more than the rest of you. I mean, there's probably a lot of that conversation that's happening in the room. And maybe Peter, James, and John were strolling around going, we saw Jesus <laughs> up on the mountain. I mean, 
Uh, he was transfigured. We got to see him in all of his glory uh, just a few verses before. And you know, C.S. Lewis says this, pride is the sin that made the devil the devil. Did you get that? Pride is the sin that made the devil the devil. In other words, be careful because Jeremiah 46, 45 verse 5 says, do you seek great things for yourself? He says, seek them not. Verse 35 of our text, he says, he sat down, he called the 12, he, and he was teaching them in a circle. He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant to all. This is completely a foreign concept, folks. If you want to be first, you actually have to go to the back of the line. What? I paid for season tickets. I'm sitting down by the ice. I want to be right there on the 50-yard line on the football field. I deserve to blow. If you want to be first, go to the back of the line and get take, take your seat back there. Go back to the back. And folks, it's, it's, it's talking about humility. It's a paradox that was taught by Jesus. And he says, if you're serious about coming ahead and of everything else, everyone else, he says, get in the back of the line. If you want to be superior, then become a servant. It was countercultural. It was contrary to everything in Jewish culture. Jesus is saying there's no place for personal status in the Christian life. He says there's no place for putting ourselves on a pedestal. The word servant is the Greek word diakonos, which comes, we get our word, English word deacon. It literally means in the dust laboring. This is a servant. They roll up their sleeves. They're willing to get dirty. They're willing to get in the trenches. Some of the greatest servants are not on the platform, folks. They're in the nursery. They're in Kid City. They're out in the, in the parking lot in the pouring rain. I saw people this morning getting ready out there with some umbrellas and I'm thinking, you need like duck boots, you need, you know, all uh, rain ponchos like you're going to Disney World. Uh, it rains every single day in Florida. You need a poncho whether you know what they or not. They sell them by the millions down there. But he says the word servant means that you're going, here it's in the dust laboring. A deacon is a servant, a laborer for the Lord. And I'm thankful Calvary has been blessed with a gifted group of individuals who serve as, as deacons and trustees in our church. In fact, this Friday night, we're doing our, our uh, officer training. And I love just seeing the light turn on for them as they understand how God wants to use them and how he's equipped them to serve the body of Christ and make an impact in our city with the gospel. It's, it's about building the kingdom. He says, Jesus longs for us to know that the greatness in the kingdom is not determined by status, but by sacrificial service. He says, it's been said that everyone wants to be a servant, but no one wants to be treated like one. Everyone wants to be, well, I want, to, I want that status, but they don't want to actually serve. You know, uh, officers are, to, are called on to protect and serve. But oftentimes, we want to go through life, and we don't actually want to do the serving part. We don't want to do the actual work in the trenches. And as the master teacher, Jesus uses... An object lesson in verse 36, he says, he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, he says, whoever receives 
one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus was always looking for personal illustrations, way to tie in to the message, what he was, try, the, what he was trying to accomplish. By holding a little child, Jesus is modeling what it means to receive uh, one who is forgotten, one who's ignored, much like the unborn in our culture today. People say, oh, you know what, it's just a tissue. No, it's a child created in the image of God. And you say, Pastor, I don't think we should be political. God's word says it's a gift. Children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of his womb is his reward. So when we look at a, a child, he says, one who loves a child he says, that's a picture of what it means to be the greatest. He says, one who receives that, receives me. Would you notice that the word receive is used four different times. He says, to receive him, to grant warm hospitality or the welcoming of a guest. A child needs to be served, but folks, they can't often serve in return. A young child is completely dependent upon their mother and their father. For bottles, for changing, for baths, for burping, all of those things. I mean, I'm loving talking to, to Jackson about, you know, a brand new baby in the house and, you know, what that looks like. And I'm just thinking, woo, I'm so happy for you. I'm so thankful it's not us. <laughs> I'm so happy those days are over at our house, but God bless you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to love you. We're going to all these things. But I mean, it, it's awesome just to see that. It, they're completely dependent upon their their family, their parents, for every single need. And too many of us serve only those who can do something for us in return. Jesus says, when you serve a child, they can't do anything back for you. And so those teachers that are investing in their students, they're showing the love of Jesus Christ to someone who can't do anything back for them or to help them back. And he says, when you receive Christ, you're receiving the Father who sent him. Next Sunday afternoon, we're having the, the back-to-school bash for the kids. And it's just an opportunity to have fun, to connect, to build relationships. And bring your kids, we want to see them uh, get involved. And, and as school is getting underway, uh, we are having more and more people coming back to church. More and more guests every Sunday are walking through our doors. We need more volunteers to serve in children's ministry. And Ms. Taylor Whitney's doing a fantastic job of, of building teams of people to, to serve in various capacities. And folks, she needs more. There's four babies born in one month, last month. We, we need volunteers who will step up and say, I'll be used of God to love on the least, on these who are, or are unable to give back, so to speak, but so that the gospel, the kingdom of God, can grow and be expanded. Jesus wants his followers to be all up in, uh, in not about personal status. He says, be the least so that Jesus can use us for his good, for his glory. There's also no place for group superiority. In verse 38, it says, John said, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he was not following you. We tried to stop him because he was not following, what's the word, church? Us. I don't want my name on the church sign. If you're following me, I can lead you astray. And I'm just 
we're being transparent here. Sometimes you'll say, pastor's name all in lights and blazoned everywhere. He's got a million books that he's written. There's nothing wrong with that. But folks, if you're following a person, they're going to let you down every time. If you follow Jesus Christ, he will never, ever, we just sang about it, he'll never fail. He'll fail us not. He will never abandon us, forsake us. For he'll never let us down in any way, shape, or form. So Jesus said, he says, we saw someone cast out demons, your name. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. It's a bit surprising that John, knowing that the one whom Jesus loved, would speak up at this point. He says, we need to remember, he says, he was called the son of thunder. But John doesn't like the fact that someone is not a part of his group. They're having spiritual success, and they're not part of the same exact team. Churches can get territorial. There are churches in our city, boy, they don't talk to no one. I mean, that we're the only person preaching the gospel in all of Raleigh. <laughs> well, let me just tell you, newsflash, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be the only ones in the kingdom. You're not going to be the only one in the presence of God. I've been on mission teams, and we've traveled to other foreign countries, and, and there's sometimes there's a mindset of, we're the only people preaching the gospel in all of Nicaragua. Newsflash, God is at work everywhere. And he uses the least likely to accomplish the greatest things for the kingdom of God. And, and so sometimes they, they worry about people that aren't on the same exact team. The, these nine disciples failed in their attempt to cast out a demon we saw last, sun, last Sunday in the message. And he said he's trying to stop someone else from casting out one. He says, you know, one day a lady criticized D.L. Moody and she says, I don't like the way that you do evangelism. I don't like the way that you witness to people. And Moody's reply was, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. He says, why don't you tell me how you do it? And she said, well, I don't do it. And he looked at her, he said, well, I like the way I do do it better than the way that you don't do it. <laughs> and the reality is, is so often we're so quick to point out, I don't think he's doing that right, or he should have done that, or she should have said this, or she should have commented on that. And how many people have you led to faith in Christ this year? I mean, how many people are you inviting to church that, how much time have you spent on your knees praying for the power of God? Well, I'm telling you, I just, I, 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 church is just kind of boring. I mean, or we're singing all these new songs. I just don't like them. Do you realize for years we sang out of a hymnal that had 600 songs? You know how many of those 600 songs we sang? About 30. Why? Because people didn't like the rest of them. They didn't know them. <laughs> they were a new song they'd never heard of, and no one sang them. And, but sometimes we can get all bent out of shape over, it's to this, it's to that, it's just, what if we just died to self and said, I'm not going to be about myself. It's not going to be about my preference, my, what I would do, and I'm going to, I'm going to go to worship Jesus and let him have his way in my heart. And it's not about getting my way or having my purpose. It's about glorifying the Father and making much of Jesus. And folks, 
I'll take an entire building filled with people who are worshiping than a stadium size of people who are sitting there with a bad attitude thinking, we ain't never done them like this before. I mean, well, God help us. He says, let's experience the presence and the power. It's not about group superiority. It's not about having our name in lights. And it showed their narrow uh, exclusivism. And they, the disciples said, they're not doing it the same way that we're doing it. And brothers and sisters, we've got to develop a kingdom focus. Not just a church focus. We've got to have a kingdom mindset. I have friends with lots of area pastors around the triangle. And you know what? They might not cross their T's exactly the way we deal with everything. They may not dot all of their I's exactly. But I'm seeing God's hand of blessing upon them. And I rejoice when we share in, in what God is doing and seeing people saved and lives transformed by the gospel. I rejoice in that. And we can celebrate what God is doing in other churches. Here's a couple of principles that have helped me uh, in this whole uh, regard. We don't have to be, we don't have an exclusive lock on truth. We're not the only people preaching the gospel. And I love what God is doing at Calvary. I love the lives are being transformed by the gospel here. But we're not the only people out there. And if someone is a follower of Jesus, he or she is my brother or sister in Christ. And I can rejoice when God is blessing them. I can rejoice when God is transforming lives by the gospel. We're on the same team. Differences don't have to divide us. Secondly, Calvary cannot reach everyone. We cannot reach everyone. And sometimes you say, well, there's a church on every corner in the south. Well, that's true. But have you ever been to some of them? Some of them are completely dead. At my old house, I'd pass a church every Sunday. And as I would come home from church, they were still in church. Five cars in the parking lot. Dead. You know what it is today? the funeral home the cemetery has hundreds of people but it's completely dead and folks the reality is this morning we can we don't have an exclusive gospel that's just us he God is using he's using not just us he's using multiple ministries all around the city to reach the triangle with the gospel and and even if we could reach everyone there's not enough space in all of the churches at Raleigh to reach our city. We also don't have to condone everything another church believes. Sometimes I'll look around and I see things like, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I would, I could go to that church. I don't think I would, but I would feel comfortable there. Doctrine does matter. We don't always, we don't want to partner with every single church in town because some are really going a whole different direction. It's more like a country club and and they don't have a, a desire to reach the city with the gospel. Warren Wiersbe said this. He says, it never ceases to amaze me, though, how God blesses those I don't agree with. <laughs> it's amazing how sometimes God uses some people. You're like, man, that's a strange approach to ministry. But God is using them in some way, shape, or form. And Mark Lowry was a Christian comedian. He was talking one time about all the different denominations in our cities and he said, just think, when we get to heaven, we're going to see who was right 
and who was wrong. <laughs> he said, some of us have been wrong the whole time. He says, we're going to get to church, to heaven, and we're going to find out who was really right. Was it the, 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 the Baptist or the, the Methodist? I mean, it was the Presbyterian. Who was it? The non denoms I mean, he said, some of you can't make up your mind, so you just non-denom. <laughs> he said, but we, we, we're going to figure out one day who's right and who's wrong. It helped greatly by... Uh, the, the Apostle Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 1. He says, verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And he says, in that I rejoice. We may not cross every T and dot every I exactly the same. He says, but when Jesus Christ crucified is preached, we can rejoice greatly and a, a, a word of, of wisdom to, to live by says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, use liberty. In all things, charity. In all things, show the love of Jesus Christ. Allow our city to see the, the church of Jesus Christ making disciples. And Moses had to deal with overly zealous Joshua. When he, he wanted Moses to stop... Uh, some prophets who weren't part of their same group. And he says, listen to what Moses said in Numbers chapter 11. He says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And he goes on, he says in verse 39, he says, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in, the name, in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. What's he saying? He says, there are, they're doing, those doing miracles in the name of Jesus aren't foes, they're followers. They're desiring the name of Jesus to be proclaimed in the triangle and around the world. And folks, we're doing our part. Verse 41 says, for truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. He talks about giving a cup of cold water to someone in need. They didn't have a refrigerator to go through and pull a, a cup out and, you know, we, we'd go and stick that cup in the door and you get and dispenses cold water. That wasn't impossible back in those days. A cup of cold water would require a, a trip to a, a river or to a, a stream or, or you would have to have some deep well to, to draw that up and offer a cup of cold water but he says that giving of cold water helps someone who was parched with thirst uh, from the burning heat in Israel. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, it says, This cup of cold water in that day, no one could go. They needed something to quench their thirst after a day's hard work. And to give a cup of cold water required sacrifice. It would require us to travel and, and locate the water and bring it back to where that person was. So, Pastor, what's the application here? When we receive a child or give a cup of cold water, we're demonstrating humble service. We're demonstrating sacrifice, and we're doing it for Christ. That small act of hospitality in Jesus' name will be rewarded. What we do for Jesus Christ, it will be rewarded one day. God sees it. We're not trying to build a name for ourselves. It's 
offering a, a cup of water, offering to love on children and teach them that Jesus loves them. And he loves them so much he died on the cross for their sin. He didn't stay dead, but he rose again victoriously. And we're sharing that Jesus Christ cares for their soul. What an awesome thing this morning to invest in others. Let's make sure we're not about our personal status. That we root out any sense of group superiority. And you know when I'm all about school spirit, I'm all about church spirit. I have a, a Calvary Raleigh sticker on the back of my car. But you know, the reality is, is we're in this together, working as the body of Christ. Churches all around our city, all around the world, seeking to not make a name for ourselves, but seeking to exalt the name of Jesus. To proclaim Jesus in the triangle in the world. That's why we exist. Church, this quote, it says, there is nothing God cannot do if we keep our hands off the glory. Imagine this morning, if you and I said, you know what, I don't care who gets the credit. It's not about me. I want Christ to be exalted. And folks, if we get out of the way, do you realize what Jesus Christ could do with a room of people this large those that are watching online, the people that would get on fire and not care if they don't get credit, but that Jesus' name is exalted. His name is declared. The three action steps this morning, be anonymous. Make it about Jesus and not us. Think about it. Make it all about Jesus and not about us. Do the monotonous. Serve the Lord faithfully, not just when we get recognized. Because sometimes, boy, you ask for volunteers in the middle of a service. You say, hey, I need some people right now to stand up and say they'll serve here. And you know, people are, I'll do that. Everybody sees me. But what about the person who shows up at 7.30 on Sunday morning or 8 o'clock on Sunday morning and they're behind that wall right now pushing buttons on a computer to make sure that you could read the words of the, the message of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about the person who cleaned the bathroom and, and who helped prepare the coffee this morning so that you can have a worship experience? They're not doing it for their name to make much of themselves. They're doing it so that Jesus Christ can be declared. Do the monotonous. Serve the Lord faithfully. And then lastly, see the obvious. God is at work all around us. Let's get busy serving him and stop trying to be number one. Jesus says, what are you talking about? What are you guys still caring all about? <laughs> Try to figure out who's the greatest amongst us. Jesus said, just die to self. Go to the back of the line. Give a cup of cold water. Love on a child and teach them how they can have a relationship with Jesus. Let's stop making a name for ourselves or building a brand. Let's start allowing Jesus Christ to live through us. This morning, are you aware that you can't serve in the name of Jesus 
unless you've actually been saved by Jesus. Think about it. There's no way to root out the attitude of personal status or group superiority unless we've yielded our heart and our life to follow Jesus. He's the one that took our place. He died on the cross and he's offering us adoption into the family of God. Heavenly Father, this morning would you speak to hearts?